0: Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC.
1: Welcome to Episode 3 of Fantasy Bites. Today, I'll be discussing the biggest winners of the NFL Combine, a topic we're probably going to revisit April 23rd through the 25th. I do want to note, we'll only be discussing the offensive players who are the biggest winners, given their potential fantasy value, although at this point it's difficult to project what that's going to look like. Instead, I'll discuss some of the intangibles the players possess, and whether or not it's obvious on the tape, and what that can mean for their fantasy value. Without further ado, enjoy the episode. Number three, My number three biggest winner from the NFL Combine is, of course, Jonathan Taylor from UW-Madison. Of course, as a Wisconsin Badgers fan, I was pretty positive that Jonathan Taylor was one of the best running backs in this class. But that was further reinforced by the fact that he did so well at the NFL Combine. I get it. Madison is running back university when it comes to their entire focus on the running back position. And their offensive line is great. And the quarterback can't do anything. Yada, yada, yada. Taylor's different though than a guy like Monte Ball, who was a disappointment, or a guy like Melvin Gordon, who's now on his second contract with the Broncos. They are different players, Jonathan Taylor, Monte Ball, Melvin Gordon, and certainly Taylor's pretty different than guys like Corey Clement and James White too, who have had successful NFL careers despite not being that prototypical Wisconsin running back. The discussion regarding around the 2020 NFL draft and how it's rightfully a huge wide receiver heavy draft has kind of made the running back position sneakily undervalued, or at least considering how deep or top heavy it is, were I think shortchanging it. Guys like DeAndre Swift, J.K. Dobbins, Clyde Edwards, Hilaire, right? AJ Dillon, Cam Akers, Zach Moss. There's some pretty balanced running back names out there, but Jonathan Taylor is very clearly the best among that group, and here's why he has excellent balance for running back. It feels like when he's running through the hole, he's rising up to the point, much like a sprinter, when he's got the open space, then he's running at full speed. Otherwise, he's pretty compact. You can tell he's powerful. He breaks a lot of different tackles all over the place. I'm not saying he's going to be a Derek Henry type of player. That's not it at all. In fact, that's kind of more like what A.J. Dillon is and we're going to be seeing in the years to come in the NFL. But Jonathan Taylor's strong enough to be able to take contact and continue moving the pile and break place off of that. The big part, though, is that he has the strength and the speed. And we saw the speed at the NFL Combine, a 4 40 yard dash, 4 49 yard dash, let's say. And it should be pretty eye-popping. Those numbers should be eye-popping to you because he ran it at 226 pounds. That speed was evident on tape, and I don't understand why people haven't gotten to that point. We saw that in games against Purdue and Penn State two years ago, and I can say this as a Badgers fan, there's was contests as well, even last year, when he was maybe a bit of a disappointment. I know he was going to be a Heisman runner entering the season and got that point, but wasn't really ever in contention. But We saw that against Michigan, where he ran for 204 yards. We saw that in the Big Ten Championship game against Ohio State. Yes, that was very disappointing to watch as a Badgers fan, but... That very first carry, or I guess the very first touchdown, I should say, he just outran people, and this has happened on a consistent basis with a guy like Jonathan Taylor. The contact doesn't hurt him; he has the speed to get around the edge and remove potential tackling opportunities because he's deceptively fast. And I think we actually get to see that speed at the uh, at the forty yard dash at the NFL Combine. That makes a difference. I'm confused as guys like Maurice Jones-Drew, who have Jonathan Taylor ranked six. Among the running backs, I get it. If you like J.K. Dobbins or Swift more than Taylor, I'm not going to really argue that point, although I do think Taylor is going to be as good uh, as some of the best running backs we've seen. Like Maybe not Saquon Barkley, but Ezekiel Elliott level, I think that's what Jonathan Taylor can be. And I think that's what we're missing the distinction, because there's way too many people out there that are completely fading Taylor under the guise that every other Wisconsin running back doesn't do things that they're supposed to do. Jonathan Taylor's different. I think that's what we saw at the NFL Combine and why he's going to be a legit difference maker in the NFL. What does that mean for his fantasy value? I don't know for certain. I think it depends on where he goes. Uh, We've had our own Mario Puig draft him to the Kansas City Chief toward the back of the first round. That's fine, but if he's splitting time with a guy like Damian Williams or another quality running back, you're probably not getting to see what Jonathan Taylor can be. But if he is the main guy, if he ends up going to, I don't know, let's just say the Chargers, for example, and and, well, that's not a good example. (laughs) If he ends up going to the Buccaneers and joins that offense now with Tom Brady around the helm, he's going to immediately take snaps away from Ronald Jones to the point where Ronald Jones isn't even in the conversation. That's the type of player that Jonathan Taylor can be. And I think in the right offense is easily, easily a top eight fantasy running back. I know it's crazy to say about a rookie. We had this conversation about Saquon Barkley. We did it with Ezekiel Elliott as well. If Jonathan Taylor goes to the right spot, he could very well be a late first round, middle first round pick by the end of August drafts. Of course, if we have the NFL season. Number two. Number two on my NFL combine list, biggest winners, I should say, is Chase Claypool. Obviously, there are some very big positives for Chase Claypool, and I'm sure everybody understands them. 4.42 40-yard dash, at 235 pounds. That's the first time since Calvin Johnson, which is what it feels like 15 years ago, and I'm not even that old, that somebody over 230 to over 235 pounds has ran that fast of a 40 time. He had over a thousand receiving guards as a senior for Notre Dame, and he also had 13 touchdowns. Now four of those came against Navy, but they did finish 20th in the final AP coaches poll. So we know they're pretty talented. All the indications seem to suggest he's a character guy. He was pretty big in special teams in past seasons. He's that intangibles type of player. I know teams value that, but I'm not sure if they want to overreact to what we saw with the combine numbers. But it's at least important to note, because he's going to be drafted higher than maybe he was going to be in December. That's all good. But if you actually watch the tape for Chase, I'm not sure I see that same sort of speed that we saw at the combine as maybe like a guy like Jonathan Taylor, who was very obvious in certain games. Notre Dame matched him up often on the outside versus smaller corners, and it's great. He's six foot four. That's what you're supposed to do with a tall receiver. That's not going to happen as often in the NFL, and I think that's going to be concern for me. He doesn't necessarily show the ability to get the ball at the highest point either. Like When I've watched tape of Chase Claypool, I would never have guessed he had a 40.5-inch vertical, and he did that at the NFL Combine. So it's weird to see this guy that is kind of a tight end, kind of a wide receiver, not be able to do necessarily both. And yes, he did have uh, teams interested in drafting him, or at least having him do tight end position routes. And I think that's going to be now out of the question, given, given what he did and as big as he did at the NFL Combine. He's Evan Ingram in a lot of different ways, and I get the comparison entirely. I think Claypool actually would benefit if he was a tight end. I mean, Evan Ingram was a first round pick for that reason. Same speed. Uh, Claypool actually jumped higher than Evan Ingram during his NFL Combine stuff, but we're not really seeing the same type of interest. I feel like for Claypool and what his role in the offense is going to be very significant if he's used a lot like Evan Ingram, where he split out in the slot, he's taking advantage of the matchups. That's great, but there are so many offenses. I'm thinking like Adam Gase in particular with the Jets that I'll say, oh, he's big, he's tall, he's fast. And then just throw him on the outside, much like Notre Dame did. And he's not going to be able to win those jump balls as often or as frequently and certainly won't get targeted in those same situations when he's not the biggest, fastest guy out there. And yeah, I guess he would be in most situations with a 40 and a half inch vertical and a 4-4 four, four, uh, dash. But that just doesn't happen in the NFL in the same way that college does. And I think we have to understand that. He's probably going in the second or third round. I think people need to understand this because of the athletic gifts that he has. I'm not sure he can reach that promise, though, and that's where my concerns might lie for him as a fantasy prospect. Number one. The number one biggest riser from the NFL combine when it comes to offensive players, in my mind, is Denzel Mims. So Baylor's been pretty productive in producing combine warriors, at least in the wide receiver position, right? Corey Coleman, Kendall, Wright, two former first-round picks. Josh Gordon was in that conversation too. Gordon made a lot of sense. Corey Coleman had a lot of speed, never really got that promise. Injuries kind of derailed his career, and Kendall Wright was Kendall Wright. I guess you could consider Jalen Hurd in that conversation, too, since he was a third-round pick last year. But he only played one year for Baylor. I'm not sure I really follow that distinction. Anyway, Mims has at least 55 catches in each of the past three seasons. That's good. Over 1,000 receiving yards in the past two, or I guess in two of the past three seasons. Also good. Maybe not like the speed and size combo as a guy like Chase Claypool, who we just talked about earlier, but he definitely is a more skilled route runner than he might anticipate for his size. And I think that's a very valuable commodity to have. When we're talking about Denzel Mims as maybe a late first round guy, he ran a 4-3-8 40-yard dash. He was not going to be a second or third round guy. Now is considered in the back end of the first round entirely because of that speed. I think that's a really big distinction to make as well. But six foot three, two hundred seven pounds, Mims is kind of the prototypical receiver in today's game, and he's good after the catch too. I say this as someone that's long been a fan of Marquez valdes Scantling. Yes, my Packers disappointing wide receiver, Mims looks like the kind of player I wish MVS could be, and that's really enticing, especially for a late first round pick. Here's some negatives, though. I mean, on the other side, he was having this breakout sort of final season as a senior against younger talent that he probably should have dominated, given his athletic gifts. So those numbers look great, over 55 receptions, 1,000 receiving yards, but you have to understand the context. It's also really important to point out, and I think you have to, you can't really ignore it, the Big 12 Conference has no idea what defense is. Quite literally, I don't think they understand the concept of defense, and Mims completely eviscerated most of the competition that he played in those matchups. So great, he's got these numbers, but he's doing it against people who are younger than him, Slower than him, smaller than him, because he's such, such an older player, and he's doing against competition that isn't any good in the defensive category anyway. These are all buts, and I, I felt like I had to draw some negatives for Mims just because, but the upsides are really clear. Maybe as an expectation of a first-round pick, it could be difficult for Mims to live up to. I just don't think he can be a quality number one receiver for a team. But you're talking about someone who has the dynamic tools to be a number two in the right offense. And we've seen even with guys like Marvin Jones Jr., you can get over a 1,000 receiving yards and eight touchdowns as the number two guy, alongside a Kenny Galladay or something like that. You can make it work. And especially with a guy like Mims, who's as fast and as tall as he is, that's something to value. That does it for us on episode number three of Fantasy Bites. As always, special thanks to the Racing Pulses for dedicating their music to the show. Next week's episode will be a two-part feature that identifies the five biggest winners and losers of the NFL free agency so far. Thanks for listening.
2: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about.